0: continuing our journey through the decades with jay skipworth from filmstrip pod how you doing man
1: man i'm doing great mike thanks again for having me and for uh, joining me on the uh, the trek through uh, the history of film as it were or at least our history of film
0: yeah it's definitely these next few films uh, i have either heard of or never heard of but i've never seen most of these films so which is exciting because i'm i'm always interested in seeing uh Seeing more films and being exposed to stuff that maybe i necessarily wouldn't have checked out. So uh, we are this week we're into our 1940s decade, and this was another audible that was kind of pulled last minute. But uh, Jay, why don't? What are we talking about today?
1: Yeah, so as we continue to go through uh, you know, uh, films that are on top films of the decades list and finding something I've never seen, that's you know thing here I've never seen these. We're talking about Double Indemnity from 1944 largely considered the the grandfather, you know, pinpoint genesis story of noir films and the funny thing is the director billy wilder never set out to do that he just made it something entertaining that's what you know he claimed for years but was based on a book that had been popular and had a major, a couple of major stars, in Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, and of course Edward G. Robinson, uh, you know who we all know from a lot of gangster pictures and stuff like that, or at least a, a bad impression of him in Home Alone movies. Uh, and you know, this is one that's just considered the the beginning of all of that. And I I think I was aware of this. I know I had heard the title before. I, I kind of know what the phrase means, but I I didn't didn't ever see this. And I I think it's, it's funny because Fred McMurray to me and not unlike a lot of people in my generation, he was a Disney dad. Like I knew him from his sixties stuff, the absent-minded professor and my three dads and all, or my three sons rather and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I, I didn't know that he had this whole like other film career, but you know, he, he really did. He worked from Hollywood for almost 40 years. And, uh, was just a just a force and a presence. And uh this movie again was a was a major, major touchstone and nominated for a lot of Academy Awards. Didn't win any because it's hard to beat a musical comedy in the nineteen forties. Heck, it's hard to do that nowadays, uh, with, with the Academy. But yeah, I mean I I had always wanted to see this. And so we had something else scheduled and just the more I actually started to watch part of it. And I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a real slog. And so I said, mm, let me try this. And so I, I watched it and I called the Audible again to go like, no, this is much more watchable film. And I'm glad glad I did, honestly, because this, this one flows a little bit better.
0: Yeah. And I, I was excited to be uh be introduced more to film noir. I'm going to be honest. Film noir is one of those genres that I haven't been too to, uh, exposed to it as as much as I'd like um I know the tropes I know like kind of what to expect from a film noir especially more of like the moderns like take on the noir mm-hmm. but um yeah I'm definitely excited to be being exposed to the noir and seeing like kind of the humble beginnings of where we're at um because this is obviously like you were saying the grandfather this kind of set the tone of what the tropes are going to be like they weren't tropes yet mm-hmm. um so it's cool like kind of seeing that history in the beginnings of where we are in the 40s it's also cool and i think we were mentioning this as we're progressing in the decades just how like films are being made just how dynamic the plots are becoming and even just like the the filmmaking and cinematography which i think is especially more uh evident in the next film that we'll be talking about in the journey through the decades but it's it's cool Mm -hmm. seeing the progression really start here where they're we're getting more dynamic shots we're getting uh a lot more nuanced characters and and the uh the motivations of the characters are getting more nuanced so yeah this is definitely a really entertaining pick because when i was watching this i i almost forgot that i was watching a movie i was just so engrossed in what was happening um and uh even though there were some of those tropes that now today are kind of antiquated once you get past that first like 10 minutes you're just totally engrossed in what's happening and you're like what's the mystery of what's going on here
1: yeah you get caught right in into the whole story and how it how it unfolds and it it, you know a lot of credit again to our director and the cast and everybody that put this together to, you know, there's a lot of different ways to do a film noir, right? Like a lot of times they'll, they'll sort of give you like the big end and then you sort of piece yourself back together. And this one does that, or, you know, they'll lead you right through it and you don't know what's happening. And when I, when I watched the opening of this movie and and we should just say like, it's about a an insurance man in Los Angeles who falls for this, seductress housewife, murderous person. And they get into a scheme of insurance fraud and murder to try to kill her husband. But she's really trying to double cross him, but maybe he was trying to double cross her. And it all just, you know, it's a lot of double crossing when I was watching the beginning of this, because it opens where the movie ends, which is McMurray, uh, his character stumbling into the office to record on a dictaphone, what will be his last words, basically uh, sort of confessing everything that goes on and we get the flashback and stuff. And so we, we meet Walter Neff at, at his end. And I feel a lot like, um, uh, I feel a lot like I'm watching something even, you know, even more modern. And now this movie's almost 30 years old, but like usual suspects or stuff like that. And I think about all these movies that have done this kind of thing Like it's just, throughout the decades, there's tons of, of homages to this and half of them probably don't even realize they're doing it, but this is where all that started and it's kind of, it's neat to see because a lot of times you go back and watch old film noir from this appeared, Mike, you know, it comes off like cheap television. And I don't mean that bad, but like the quality just isn't there, but there's something very cinematic about this. Like if I ever have the chance, I'm going to try to see this on a big screen because I can imagine it would be pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. And it's funny you say big screen. Cause as I, I, when we do these episodes, I always pull up the Wikipedia, the IMDB and other like kind of things I might, Think are pertinent to the conversation, and as I typed in "Double Indemnity," it's actually playing in a theater, but well, maybe like you know forty minutes from where I am. But I'm like, oh, cool. that's actually really neat that uh, that they're still showing films like this in theaters, even if it's just a limited screening or whatever. That's why I'm a big fan of Fathom Events because this is something mm-hmm. that I think Fathom Events, as it's like 80th anniversary, 100th anniversary, that they would show um, mm-hmm. like highly, like newly digital restored. And I watched this on. Sometimes I watch these on my phone, but these next two films, especially, I was like, no, I got to watch these on my HD, like 4K TV that uh, I know, especially these films are definitely polished up uh, if you stream them. So I'm like, OK, mm-hmm. I got to watch this on some sort of HD TV to like see the detail of the grain. And I love black and white films um, oh and, and like black and white photography, uh, in, whether it's from the 40s or modern day. I just think the contrast that you can get from black and white is is really interesting and I think especially in film noir I mean obviously that black and white like dark contrasty image is what you kind of see in those film noir but I really appreciate it here especially when filmmakers know that that's what they're shooting with Mm -hmm. um like I especially see that with uh you know like Robert Eggers the lighthouse like that black and white contrast is like he knew deliberately this is we're shooting this in black and white and and obviously with these filmmakers they knew the confines of their we're not going to shoot in color so let's get these really dark shadows low lighting it really sets the ambiance and the mood and uh Billy Wilder I've I've only seen the last or, or the la- the lost weekend and and uh and I feel like that's a very completely different film with a completely different subject matter covering mm-hmm. than we get in Double Indemnity so uh, I was as I was like, you know, loading up the movie and I was just looking up basics, I'm like, oh, Lost Weekend guy. Let's see what happens here.
1: I My, my real touch point for him is Spirit of St. Louis, the uh, Lindbergh, Charles Lindbergh, Jim, Jimmy Stewart uh, biopic. Because I also watched that like in school growing up and then have just watched it through the years. Uh, but I've also seen like Sunset Boulevard and. Um, you know other things and uh, that he's done I I've, I've seen uh Seven Year Itch I think that's a, you know, the one he's really known for but like you say different kinds of films than this and what's funny is when he this is considered to be like the the best of his work and he did it so early in his career but they say it's the best because it's got such technical precision to it and I don't know if that's more him or just the people that we, he was working with or maybe it's just the you know, the whole thing coming together. Sometimes these things just work, you know, they come together and it's, it's great, you know, right out of the gate. Uh, But I'm with you on the black and white photography and how to use that because it's all about how you the colors that you're putting your characters in because even though it's going to be translated to black and white whatever color they're wearing is going to influence the light on them so much and they made a big deal to put Barbara Stanwyck in like the cheapest blondest wig they could get because they wanted her to seem quote trashy and you know and that that was considered trashy at the time this bleach blonde and so she would just stark stand out from everyone else and i mean again her eyes are dark her her eyebrows are so dark and stuff so she's this mysterious thing but she's got this facade over her which is everything you need to know about the character right and that's telling a story with visuals as much as it is with dialogue and i always appreciate that in in a movie and i think film noir in a lot of ways or really any kind of thriller crime thrillers tend to do well when they can tell you as much with the images as they can with what's being said
0: yeah, and I, I guess this is, if you know this, the answer to this question about more like the history of film noir. So as I was watching this film, and especially the other one, like it's it's funny how, yeah, like trashy and just like kind of degenerate the main characters are, like the leads yeah. are. Like immediately when Walter Neff walks into the house, he's like immediately trying to sleep with, um, with the guy who's trying to sell the insurance to his wife, like almost instantaneously. And it's funny, yeah. like thinking back yeah. of – of what the um, like the motion picture association and just what filmmakers and how people viewed films uh, you know, you couldn't show a side boob without getting an X rating or, or the film just being completely like dead in the water, but you can have these innuendos and, and people, you know, become just being degenerates, like literally right off the bat. I'm like, man, these, all these people are scumbags. Which obviously is the trope of, uh, yeah. or one of the tropes of film noir. So I guess my question would be more: Has was this spawning from like dime store novels, like pulpy, like pulp uh, book stories, Mm -hmm. and that was just kind of popular amongst the crowd, and that the innuendo was okay? Because it it seems like the films were trying to be more: Oh, we have a moral obligation to shield the public from you know uh, depravity like this.
1: So you you have two different things and we'll go and tease what we're doing for the nineteen fifties. We're doing the asphalt jungle. So a couple of film noirs, you know, coming up here and we'll kinda stay in Noirland for a little while actually if if what holds on the schedule holds. But I, for this this these are two films that were made in the basically the same period of time when there was the code. One of them goes way against it and the other one adheres to it. And this is the one that adheres to code in Hollywood, which means you can't glamorize the evil. They have to pay pay for their sins. You can't show this, you can't do that or whatever. And but this one skirts the line pretty good. Asphalt Jungle just runs right through it because John Houston doesn't care. And and then he he'll tell you like he was gonna run all over that at the time. Time. but this one skates it a little bit and you're, you're right in its origins the james cane novella that this is based on was really the only art form at the time that could be a little more risque and was going against the grain it was in the written form because it certainly wasn't in the music and it wasn't in our pop culture lexicon and we got to remember 1944 we're in the thick of at the near the end of world war ii this is an escape for people like if movies are an escape, you know um, this movie is definitely built to be that from the everyday what's going on and the news of the world and all that. And I mean, you know, we can relate in 2022 to that because one of the things that, that we talked about on the Top Gun Maverick review was how much of an escape this movie was built to be. And it's done so purposely. And I I appreciate cinema that kind of knows what it is and doesn't try to put on airs for more than that. It just makes, you know, a a good tight story. And that's what generally makes something last a long time. And I, I would argue, Mike, that's why this one lasts a good long while what's funny to me is some of the things that are in this movie now that would like go against quote code today like all the smoking i mean holy cow you could you can't show that anymore without a ton of warning labels which is funny to me that we have like we're so much more progressive now but there's oh we can't show anybody you know, smoking a cigarette
0: yeah and and it's funny too i i i think the writing of the characters are so are very intricate and nuanced that i really appreciate it um like with uh with Walter Neff. I really like how, yeah, he's trying to, I love how he draws the line of like, he'll sleep with a guy's wife, but Oh, committing insurance fraud and kill. No, I'm, I'm good.
1: Yeah. I can't betray my job, but yeah, I can't
0: Yeah, and he's like, no, I'm good. And then I guess he just is tempted by that. And it's funny how it's not so much the money. I I feel like it's, it's more, but the the seductress, I want to be with her. And he does the whole double indemnity clause, which uh, I, if I understood correctly, there's the clause in the life insurance that if you get killed in a very like freak accident, you get paid double the amount. So he hatches this whole plan that we're going to get him on the train. I'm going to disguise myself as him. It's very like to the detail. Um, like we're gonna get this. I'm gonna set my own alibi up. You're gonna be okay. We're we're gonna get a, we're gonna get away with this. But I like how initially he says no, and then it's almost it's not even the money. It's just like oh, this is my gift to her. If I'm doing this, we might as well get as much money as we can out of this. Right. So I, mean, if
1: I'm gonna if I'm gonna jump off the bridge, I might as well get you know have as much parachute to land on as I can. And what what I think is interesting about this is particularly when it's made is this movie's trying to adhere to these moral codes, but it's also making this incredibly anti-capitalistic statement in this because the way he lays this out is like look, these clauses are ridiculous. It's just a way for us to get more money out of you because how often are you going to get hit by a train? It's, it's so rare and we never pay them out. And even when we do, we usually fight them in court. You know, there's all this stuff about it. And so he, he's telling her it's a scam like you don't need the insurance for you don't need it like that because what are the odds that that's going to happen? Right. But she says, Oh, my husband travels a lot by train or whatever. like, Oh, this is perfect. He's got this broken leg. We can do this whole bit. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll kill him. And then we'll, we'll, I'll go on the train dressed like him and nobody will know the difference. And then I'll jump off and we'll throw his body on the tracks and everybody will think like, Oh, he fell from the train because he you shouldn't have been out watching the, the rails run by at night on a, on a cast or whatever. And I mean, it's, it's not the dumbest plan ever. I mean, I, you've heard of it, but but you realize when he's laying it out, you're like, is anybody going to fall for that? You know, but but it's 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 neat, and that's that's what makes the Edward G. Robinson character so neat is usually he's playing the heavy, right? And this, he's playing the straight guy. He's the boss. He's the underwriter, investigator, you know, whatever. Who's got to look at that and go, what what happened here? Something's not right. This isn't adding up just right, and he can tell that you know McMurray's character Neff has has clearly gone over the the head over heels for phyllis here and and i don't know it's it, it's almost like a play really with three people and i kind of wonder if this had ever been adapted into a stage play i think you can make a heck of a, a fun little stage play out of this thing
0: oh yeah i mean especially since there's not a lot of big like set pieces and everything there's a mm-hmm. lot of uh in, in central locations and i do also like the uh like the web of lies that just slowly start to spread out how much And how how cool and collected that Walter Neff has to stay to, to keep all the moving pieces together. Like, you know, there's... There's the little bits of the daughter who okay I have to I have to present we have to have a witness and okay I guess you'll have the daughter but I but I still feel bad that we're talking about this life insurance and the daughter has to be present but we're gonna kill her father but she has to be the witness she leaves at the right time he leaves okay now sign this but we're yeah. gonna put this in not put in the security deposit box but not this date or later than this uh you know and I love how the the broken foot actually plays more into their into their uh their plot even more and almost like it almost even worked out naturally without them doing it like because yeah. she says oh, he's at the air the oil der- uh derrick's and oh he he might get killed there and he like almost did get killed at them anyway so it's mm-hmm. funny just how they the, the plan almost worked without them even having to like kill him um but yeah I, and like just the, the intricacies and even that that reveal later when they're questioning the you know the police are just like yeah it was a death you know but no big deal, write it off. It's case solved. And it's the big wig insurance that says, no, there's foul play here. It was suicide. And that was a twist that I was not expecting. Right. I was like, oh wow, like that's like how are they gonna play with this? Cause I thought it was, oh, it's foul play. And it wasn't until they went with the whole suicide and then the uh the little man in his stomach was telling him, Oh, so, something's fishy here. Maybe it was a suicide, maybe it wasn't. And uh and then just the spiral that starting at that point.
1: That's why Robinson is keys. The the insurance president is just such a force on the screen because he has no proof for any of this, but he's what the audience, he's the audience. Like we know it's a scam and he does too, but he can't prove it. It's, you know, and I think everybody can relate to like, when you know something is wrong, but you can't, you don't have any evidence for it, but it's just, this feels wrong. Something wrong about this whole thing. And again, you think about you know more modern noir you know, films and stuff. I, I think of one, and it's maybe a little lesser known one, but it came out in the nineties with Tom Berenger and Bob Hoskins and Greta Sachi uh, called shattered. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but I, I would recommend it. If, if anybody's listening to this, I hadn't seen that one either. It's a good twist Turner and I, I won't spoil all of it. If, if, so, you know, but the Berenger character knows something is wrong, but he can't prove any of it. And the whole movie is him basically going about to prove it, or at least the, the, back two-thirds of it because the front third's setting it up. Um, but but and I don't love that in, in these kind of movies, but we know as the audience what's wrong, right? But now we've, we've got to be invested in the chase of proving it. Like, how can we get to it? Or, you know, if you think about Chas Palminteri knows Kaiser Sose is behind all of it in The Usual Suspect, but he can't prove it, right? And he just keeps whittling away at something, but he doesn't know what. He's swinging in, in the dark. And the same here with Keys. Like, he knows something is wrong and he just can't prove it. And so, um, it's, it's neat to get to that point. I wanted to ask you something just to jump to the end for a second here on it. Would you have found it more satisfying if McMurray is laying all that out in the dictaphone and he just slumps over in his chair and somehow or another he knocks that off the the table and it ruins the tape and the president comes in the next day and so he's not able to ever hear it. He never hears the confession. He doesn't know. Like that almost would be even, you know, the great cliffhanger of like, oh, something clearly went wrong, but I don't know what here, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I that text now that you mentioned that, I think that would have been because we know the story but i think that would have been even more enhanced that mystery of just like well there's a dead body he was clearly recording something and he's involved in this in some capacity because mm-hmm. um because the ball he he knew at the end of the day i think he, he had his suspicions and then it was confirmed when he walked in and he saw neff uh recording but mm-hmm. uh yeah i think that would have been just that yeah i honestly that would have probably been a much more poignant ending of just like this this mystery of this guy who no one even would have suspected that he had done this and was the mastermind of setting up this of this uh this whole like house of cards uh, even if he was just pulling stuff away, because even the the, uh, the daughter's boyfriend, Nino, gets involved, and he's going to mm-hmm. blame him, and then at the last minute, he has a, a change of conscience and like, actually, get out of here, kid. You're not going to take the fall for this. And I think it's interesting, too, because I think they really play that, that line really well when you're like, I want him to get away with it, and I also don't want him to get away with it, the Neff character. Yeah. You're like, I don't really care about the Phyllis character. Like, yeah, she can get caught, whatever, but with our main, our, our, I guess anti-hero, we can we're tr- we you're we constantly on that line of like, do I want him to get away with this? I'm like, he's putting so much effort into it, and he's very intelligent about it that you're like, yeah, like let's see if he gets away with it. But then it's at the same time, it's like, uh, he's also committing, he's murdering, like literally cold blooded mm-hmm. murdering someone to get a little bit of money.
1: Well, he's he's Faust. In this story, like you realize like that's a bad deal, Faust, but then you kind of want him to figure out a way around it. Like you want him to get out of it because you realize like he's probably not a bad guy. He just got tempted, you know? So how can, like I said, you want him to get some resolution for it because he got himself in this mess and we're kind of asked to root him out of it. And I have to put a lot of that on the fact that Fred McMurray is just so darn likable. You know, that if, if he was sleazier, you wouldn't want him to get away. You're like, no, I want evil punished. But he's, you know, you realize, like, I, I see hey, got in over his head. Like, Barbara Stanwick, yeah. You know, and it, the more we learn about her, that, you know, the... It, her husband's first wife died mysteriously and you realize like she was the nurse I'm like oh yeah it's the, that story's been told a hundred times right and they've, they've twisted it even a few times um there's a really cool um Elizabeth Banks movie called the uninvited um yeah. that that's part of the story there too that she's not the only one in it but it's the it, you know, same same kind of idea and I love those kind of things cuz you realize like oh no the real evil in the story though is the little woman and I'm like well this is so 1944 right she she's got to be the the ultimate you know uh, spawn of satan in this movie but I, I love the way Stanwyck plays it though because from her point of view she's right and she's like, look, I've been put up on my whole life. These people just use me for my looks or whatever. So fine, I'm going to get what's coming to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm out for me and all that. So it makes her a compelling villainous, if you will. And I think you have to have that in these movies where really the only honorable person besides the daughter who's is running around with a rough dude. Nino's a rough cat, man. So she's not making good choices necessarily. The only honorable one is is Keys, the insurance president.
0: Everybody else is like dirty which is crazy it's it's, because you you know the the insurance even today and outside of movies it's like the 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 insurance is going to fight every single thing tooth and nail unless you can prove it and this guy is actually genuinely like no something's wrong here i don't want uh, you know we don't want to give a payout but like something's fishy here and that's not right um you know i think any person just like the we set it up with the uh with the the truck driver in the beginning who burned his car or he torched his truck to get a little bit of extra insurance money more for, it seemed more to like live as opposed to just, you know, get a hundred thousand dollars off of this, off of this truck. And the character's like, you know what? I understand you're a hardworking guy, but that's wrong. You can't do that. Uh, so just sign this paper and we'll be done with it. He's like, well, I'm out of a truck. He's like, well, it's not my problem, but he's like, you shouldn't have done something wrong. And so it's not more of a, a penny pinching. I don't want to do a I don't want to have this big, uh, like closer, sell out, pay you money. It's more like, no, nah, you broke the rules, and you're not. That's not how this works. Which is so interesting.
1: What, yeah, it really is. So the the you know the the most brutal thing in the movie, I think, is when Neff is hiding in the back seat, and Phyllis is going to drive the husband to the train station so he can go to his college reunion, and Neff kills him from the back seat. And it's like, wow. I mean, that's that's a brutal scene, and. You know nowadays it would probably be a lot you know bloodier or maybe it would not depending on who who was directing it, but what did you make of that?' Because when that happened, I was like, I can only imagine what audiences did when they saw that in nineteen forty four like the gasps and the clutching of pearls that had to happen when they saw Fred McMurray kill that dude from the back seat.
0: yeah, definitely the point of no return, and I think I'm glad that we didn't see him choking him out or we just hear a scream yeah and we and we get the um the this, this the point of view shot the camera looking at phyllis just driving and i'm i'm and either if she did it it was super subtle or she didn't do it at all it's just this blank expression but it was almost yeah. it was very reminiscent of the marion crane shot when she's thinking psycho thinking of uh you know the fantasy in her head of just uh like screwing over her boss and like she just starts slowly smiling of just mm-hmm. like yeah i did something bad i was like I said, if if she had done it at this point, it was super subtle. But I I, but I even I just love that, that shot while she's even just expressionless and emotionless um, as her husband is being strangled next to her, just not even flinching that this is happening. Like this is so premeditated and she's been ready for this moment, building up to this. And I'm surprised she didn't let out a smile, just like, yeah, it worked. And, mm-hmm. and the plan is going, it, everything is going according to how it was planned.
1: Yeah, exactly. Is the whole idea is like it's all going according to my plan? Whoa, you know. And I mean, I, that is. I mean, there is some twirling of of the mustache she doesn't have a little bit, uh, but I I did like it. I mean, I, I I think you called out a great part is that the fact that the focus is on her right and you just hear what's going on but you're like wow he's really crossed that line here but that that it's almost like excitement on her face mike the way she does well, she's it she's the That's... mastermind of his whole plan right. she didn't yeah,
0: plan she... anything but she got she at that moment was getting she was getting her way like this is what she wanted and i do like how in the beginning she tried being more subtle and like kind of the lost puppy dog, like, Oh, well, I'm just afraid that something bad's going to happen. So could we just take out a life insurance policy without him knowing about it? Yeah. But she's
1: playing so innocent and I'm like, man, he, she has got him snowed so bad. But like
0: we said, he sees through it. He's just like, no baby. And I love that. He just calls her baby. And, and and just the inflection of how he says baby throughout the film, when in the beginning he actually means it. And then towards the end, he's just like, nah, like you sucker. <laughs> well, I mean, a, he a, he does
1: kind of infantilize her a little bit with that, and I mm-hmm. I, I I think that's interesting because it almost the movie is asking you to sort of be on her side in that moment with it. You know, is that oh, see, he treats her like a piece of furniture. You know, so that's why she doesn't have any real attachment
0: to him or whatever.
1: But that doesn't mean he deserves to be murdered. So let's let's all not lose <laughs> yeah, ourselves strangled
0: in the back of a car.
1: Right. Yeah. But but I mean, I think that's an interesting. I guess element to this that I, I didn't expect for them to make me feel anything about the victim. Cause generally these things, nobody they don't want you to feel anything about the victim. They just want you to just, that's just the thing that happens. It's almost the MacGuffin of it. And the fact that they, they let us see how he interacts with her and you kind of get on her side for a half a second. I think it's supposed to make you have some bit of sympathy for her, at least as someone who's, who's been put upon a little bit and maybe deserves a little bit better than what she's getting.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that they didn't go like the abuser route. It was just someone that was I don't very good.
1: I, I think I think that's implied, but I don't think they, they could just do that at that point. Yeah, think... well
0: even just like it seemed more like mm-hmm. emotional neglect as opposed to like right. physical violence, which was interesting. Um, especially as film progresses and I guess like the, the shock factor comes more into it. Mm-hmm. Just how I was like, oh, because that that's easily a way to be like yeah, this guy deserves to die. He's a domestic abuser, um, it, like physically. Uh, right. Maybe they're a little. Well, I don't want to say they're a little too. At that point in in the 1940s, yeah, don't really want to be. It, it was it was perfectly acceptable to slap people, especially men, to hit women if, if uh, they were talking out of line. So uh, maybe right. audiences at that point, it, it was it was more just like, oh, this guy's just totally indifferent to her existence, and. You know, people don't deserve that. Maybe a little slap across the face is fine if you're out of tone, but emotional neglect is, is, is worse than physical.
1: Oh, agree. I'm completely. But, but I do think just the fact that they give us that does, think a little bit about is is interesting it's an interesting note in a film that again could could just blow right through all of that but it doesn't and we we should say for a movie that's an hour and 40 minutes long you know more or less really an hour and 45 because credits then were really short you know not like today (laughs) yeah then well it's because they're all in the front you know back in those days because it I mean, it really only took maybe 25, 30 people to make them, you know, or at least those are the only ones that got credited. Like, we weren't, you know, the third carpenter wasn't getting accredited anymore because we we hadn't gotten that far in Hollywood yet. And to be honest, this is not like the most complicated looking sets either. they're, They're just kind of shooting around, you know, the back lots in LA. And I actually think that's a that's a, a testament to this film is that how much of it is, you know, it's shot on sets. You know, these aren't like necessarily real places you can go to. There's just some coverage shots of, you know, traffic and stuff. Uh, but that, that it never feels too small or cheap, you know, like you just feel like you're a part of this little inner world. Um, and it also is sort of uh, it, it's interesting to think about how all this is going on and there's this whole other world going on out there and all of these people are completely oblivious to it. Like they never mention anything that's remotely contemporary. And that's also why this movie doesn't date itself so badly um, besides just, you know, some of its cultural touchstones.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I yeah. And, and, and it's funny. I was, you mentioned like the length of runtime of the movie. And I was actually talking about this with my buddy the other day where it was like, what's the perfect runtime of a movie? Like what's something that it's not too short, but it's, not too like the average movie, you know. Mm-hmm. There's obviously some movies I can get passes with having like four hours or three hours. You know, I, I think of like Seven Samurai. When I saw that movie, that's like the fastest four hours of my life. But funny enough, I watched uh, George A. Romero's Ramirez- Uh, night riders the other night and that's like two and a half hours and i was and like that's a that's a fun movie and it's a good movie in itself but i'm like is a little too long um and that seemed like to be like the most uh, a big critique of that movie but this at an hour and 40 minutes i i was saying like 100 100 minutes is probably the perfect runtime for most movies and that it gets in it has that extra like 20 minutes of just having like uh what the filmmakers want in there like to help like those little details, and then it gets in, and it gets out, and it tells its story in a perfect way. So I would argue, like the hundred-minute time frame for most movies is like the right amount of time to keep, especially in a modern sensibility, our attention. And uh, and this and Double Indemnity definitely does not waste around it with its plot or its runtime. It gets in, sets it up, hooks you, and then tells its story, and then leaves uh, at the perfect amount of time, in, in my opinion.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's what makes this movie so, it's one of the things that makes it so memorable is the fact that it doesn't drag you know, at all. It, it's very fleet and it keeps you on your toes. Cause you don't, even though you know what has happened and you kind of know how it's going to end, you, you don't really know how it's going to get to back to that office. Like, that's the thing is like, how are we going to get back to this point and to get this guy where he's basically, you know, the guilt is what's killing him in, in this. And, and that's an interesting thing to say, you know, because you'd think you're know, just getting shot in the shoulder isn't enough to kill somebody necessarily. Uh, at least I don't know. You're the medical professional. You can tell me more about that, but I, I would think like at some point you could survive that more than like getting shot in the you know chest or something like that.
0: Yeah. So, um, it, it's, it's funny how like you're like that little, it's like it, he starts off and it's just like this little like dot on his shoulder. And he's like, Oh, like yeah that would hurt like a bitch but he's just like slumped like he's lost all this blood I mean eventually yeah you're gonna lose a lot of blood but I'm like maybe maybe maybe, uh you should fix that wound before uh <laughs> it's funny that's like that medical part of my brain that just can't switch off and he's just yeah. sitting there like smoking cigarettes and just getting his story out um which at first I thought that he knew he was gonna die and he just wanted to set the record straight like I thought the mm-hmm. End it like the ending you proposed of he dies and then he he bur- like his cigarette burns the uh like the tape and the, 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 it's a mystery. I thought that he knew he was gonna die, but then we get to the end. He says, "I'm going to Mexico. I'll I'll see. I uh, uh, give me a few hours and and, uh, and yeah, I we can know he never away. makes
1: it because obviously because Keys interrupts him and and calls the the ambulance and the police you know to come get him. So it's it's pretty much no, it you know, the jig is up. You know how you're gonna go down, but. I, again I, I that final confrontation he has with Phyllis um which I mean, you talk about just having some weird triangles, like Nino's been seeing her too, so like we got your adult you know husband's daughter that you're you're got you got your hooks in him too, Phyllis, and so you know she, that's when neff's able to get him out of the way and you confront her i I love the way that whole confrontation is and why phyllis has to kill lola we should say the daughters because she finds out after the fact that the husband had changed his will and left everything to her and not to phyllis so now we got to kill her too and i'm like at some point the authorities are going to be like there's a lot of dead people around this lady maybe we should look into her a little bit more you know and but maybe she thinks she can get away with it for that i don't know she's obviously evil but i i love the the way their confrontation goes down though and how like he almost has like this loving embrace of her before he shoots her to death you know and i'm like wow like that is so harsh but it's also exactly what we need him to do like neff has got to be the one that kills her
0: yeah i it can't go any other way it, it has to be at his hands
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and i and i it's funny it's not funny, but at, in, in the opening narration, it's like, oh, I did it for the money, and I did it for the girls. Like, I don't have the money, and I don't have the girl. You're like, oh, okay, well, what happened to the girl? Like, how, how did we get to that point? And that's what I think that good opening there – well, maybe not so much in the 40s, but now whenever we open up with, oh, how, I bet you're wondering how I got here. Let's, let's mm-hmm. fill that in. Like, that can – severely backfire where it's just like trite you are like this isn't even interesting in the first place um like almost like i just watched um uh, guy Ritchie's the the gentleman yeah and i almost felt like the ending was like kind of nebulous and you're like oh that's it that's like we're setting up this whole point to now and then we get here and then it just sort of ends and you're like Oh, okay, cuz you're invested the whole time and then it just like is a dud of an ending, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion, and it kind of ruins all the goodwill that the movie was building to that point. But here, you're in you're enraptured the entire way through. It's almost like this is how to do that. I I, I bet you're wondering how I got here. Let's start from the very beginning. A very fine place to start. And mm-hmm. um yeah, and we get to that point and it almost yeah, it culminates to that final confrontation with keys and and I almost I almost really love the, the the still respect that keys has like well you almost got away with it let me let me just call you an ambulance and we'll sit here smoking our cigarettes and our cigars and we'll just you know we'll just wait for the sun to come up while while the police come.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, we'll, we'll, ride it out together, buddy. But it's, you realize like, no, that's not really what he means. You know, that there's, there's going to be repercussions to this and we don't need to see that. We don't know, you know, that's fine. We're, we're just going to let him uh, go off with the authorities because that's what we know is, um is the just reward for what he's done. But no, I mean, I, I, I can't say enough how much I enjoyed this movie. Uh, to the point that I actually own it uh, now because I was like, okay, I've, this has to be in the collection. I, I need to be able to revisit this uh, down the road somewhere because it's just too good not to, you know? And uh, I, again, I, I'm sort of ashamed that I hadn't seen it up to this point, uh, but I'm now glad I, I had. And um, you know, from everything from Stanwyck's sleazy phony thing to McMurray's, you know, Got myself into this deep, you know, personal trap and I got to get out of it. Marion Crane bit to Edward G. Robinson's. I know something's up and I, I just can't prove it yet. I mean, I like it. And we don't have cops as story. Usually the cops are detective or somebody like that's part of one of these stories. And this is, I think what makes this one stand out is that the cops are really the bystanders in this. These are businessmen and just citizens. And I think that makes it even more compelling.
0: Yeah. And it's in the cops. They wrote it off. They're like, nope. Oh. Mm-hmm. Case solved. We don't have to deal yeah. with it anymore. That's, our hands are clean. We figured we solved the case, boys. Now just have insurance deal with this because we don't want to deal. We don't want to do the legwork of this. Exactly. It's a clear cut case of he fell off the train and died. Mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I, I guess I can get into my closing thoughts too. I really did enjoy this movie. It didn't, the runtime did not, it did. It was so fast. I, but before I, I looked at my watch and I'm like oh shit the movie's almost over. Like mm-hmm. that was really quick. Um, it's it's also really fun seeing the the beginnings of film noir. Like I said a a genre that I'm not super well versed in but I would like to start exploring a little bit more. Um and uh and 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 seeing like i said the humble beginnings of just like what was setting the precedent for like how what good film noir should be and it's even you know we still see the homages and the references and and just and the lessons learned in modern day when people try and tackle these like these crime, uh, noir type uh, stories. So yeah, the, the the performances are electric. Everyone is believable in their in their roles and and uh, their type that they're playing. And yeah, it's and I and like again, the twists are really great. From the oh, it's a suicide to. Oh, you know, the accomplice, it's Nino, dun dun dun. Oh, she was the nurse, dun dun dun. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, where, where, it's always leaving you, you think this thing's, something's going to happen. And then they say, actually, this is what happens. But at the end of the day, we're all, it's subverting your expectations, but not because we know the ending of the story. So it's more of like, okay, well, how is this piece of the puzzle factor into here? And then how's this piece factor into here until we finally get the full. A uh, collection uh, piece where we have the final confrontation. So yeah, I really, really did enjoy it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm glad we got to revisit this one and and talk about it here with each other after having watched it. And like I said, definitely one that I go back to uh, again. I'm glad that it's now in my memory bank of of Hollywood classics. And this one lives up to it. I mean, I really do think this is this is mm-hmm. solid because there's just so many so many ways this movie still gets aped to these days, you know, as, and as an origin story, sometimes those things don't last and don't hold up. Like you see why they're the pinpoint, but eh, you know, take or leave what they are. Uh, But no, this one, yeah, this one definitely works. So yeah. High, strong, strong on this one.
0: Yeah. And before I give my uh, letterbox and I guess like out of 10 rating, uh, it is fun. Like kind of like a little hint of what we're talking about next week. This was definitely the precursor to next week. But I feel like next week really like cranked everything up and tightened everything and and improved upon that for, that new R formula. Um, so uh, with my recommendations, I do my letterbox. I gave Double Indemnity a four out of five stars. Uh, very, and I think I was going back and forth between three and a half and four. But I think everything we just said of how gripping the story was and just you know it's setting that precedent and how historical it was and just how much quote unquote fun I had with the movie. Um, it definitely kind of deserves that four out of five, and out of ten, I'm going to give uh, Double Indemnity a seven out of ten. A very solid recommendation. I think everyone should check this one out, um, even if you're slightly remotely interested in film noir. Definitely check out Double Indemnity.
1: Yeah, I, I, and on out of ten, I mean, I, I go nine out of ten on this one. Honestly, Mike, I think this is an incredibly strong film, and and lasts. Uh, the test of time and you know we're coming up almost on 80 years since it was was made and released and um I'm going to keep my eyes out for an 80th fathom event something like that just so I can catch it on the big screen cuz uh, even owning it at home on a big TV it's great but uh I got to see this on a on a big screen cuz it's just a kind of good fun escape that we don't get enough of anymore and and nowadays this is made into serialized television and that's mm-hmm. good and it has its has its purpose and I, i'm i'm certainly a fan of a lot of that but uh I, I need to see a movie like this and so yeah a lot of a lot of fun highly recommend it and uh, no matter if you if you're if you're wary at all about the the time it was made and stuff like just set that aside folks and just pop it in and watch it it's totally worth it
0: yeah sweet and Jay so that concludes our conversation would you like to plug filmstrip any of the podcasts you've been working on
1: absolutely yeah so go to filmstrippodcast.com you'll find the distribution points for all of our episodes we're 330 plus deep now at this point um, out there and lots of cool stuff uh, already recorded in the can coming out this summer some more stuff coming up um, we've even got some special things coming around the corner that I can't I'm not going to tease out any more than that uh, right now but we've got a, a big special thing we're going to drop later on probably this fall um, that uh, been working on for for a few months but yeah uh, go to filmstrippodcast.com you can follow the show on twitter instagram facebook at filmstrip pod and uh, ron Lindsay, myself um, bring on a, a cavalcade of guests you've been on several times and and others and we've got some cool guests lined up uh, for uh coming shows and uh yeah it's a lot of fun so appreciate you having me on again and let me uh, talk about filmstrip and also revisiting these uh, your classic films that i've never seen so or i guess getting to visit classic films i've never seen
0: all right, cool. Yeah, and of course, man, it's always a pleasure talking moves with you. And as always, guys, you can follow this show on Twitter at Pod. You can email us with any questions, comments, or concerns at com. And as always, we'll see you next time.